Tamerlane, Conqueror of the Earth, by Harold Lamb. Forward. The Attempt. 550 years ago, a man tried to make himself master of the world. In everything he undertook, he was successful. We call him Tamerlane. In the beginning, he was a gentleman of little consequence, master of no more than some cattle and land in that breeding ground of conquerors, Central Asia. Not the son of a king, as Alexander was, or the heir of a chieftain like Genghis Khan. The victorious Alexander had at the outset his people, the Macedonians, and Genghis Khan had his Mongols. But Tamerlane gathered together a people. One after the other he overcame the armies of more than half the world. He tore down cities and rebuilt them in the way he wished. Over his roads the caravan trade of two continents passed. Under his hands he gathered the wealth of empires and spent it as he fancied. Out of mountain summits he made pleasure palaces in a month. More, perhaps, than any human being within a life, he attempted to grasp this sorry scheme of things entire, and then remold it nearer to the heart's desire. Tamerlane he was, and only as Tamerlane is he known to us today. In our general histories his empire is called only Tamerlane's, although our ancestors of five centuries ago spoke of it as Tartary. Vaguely they knew him as a dominant and merciless figure, moving beyond the gates of Europe among golden tents and towers built of human skulls, lighted at night by spirit beacons. Asia knew him well, both to its pride and its sorrow and there his enemies said that he was a great grey wolf eating the earth, while his followers called him Lion and Conqueror. The blind Milton, pondering the legends of Tamerlane, seems to have drawn from them the sombre colours with which he painted the magnificence of his Satan, and the fantasies of the poets have been followed by the silence of the historians. Tamerlane could not easily be classified— he was part of no dynasty. He founded one. He was not like Attila, one of the barbarians who harried Rome. Out there in the limbo of things he built a Rome of his own in the desert. He made a throne for himself, but he spent most of his years in the saddle of a horse, and when he built he used no previous pattern of architecture. He made a new one according to his own inclination, out of cliffs and mountain peaks, and a solitary dome that he saw in Damascus before he burnt that city. This swelling dome of Tamerlane's fancy has become the motif of Russian design, and it is the crown of the Taj Mahal. And the Taj Mahal was built by one of the Mughals, Tamerlane's great-grandchildren. History has dealt fully with the Europe of his day. We know how Venice was dominated by the Council of Ten, and how Rienzi became the Mussolini of that time, a generation after the death of Dante. 
Petrarch was writing then, and in France the Hundred Years' War was dragging through its sterile course, while Orleanist and Burgundian wrangled with the butchers in Paris under the indifferent eyes of the half-mad Charles VI. Europe was young then, rousing from the darkness of the Middle Ages. Not yet had the fire of the Renaissance given it brilliance and Europe looked to the East for the luxuries of civilization, for linen and buckram and spice, for silk and iron and steel and chinaware. Silver and gold and precious stones came out of the East. By this overland trade, Venice and Genoa had grown...